Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Objective. And we have a topic today that I'm sure will evoke no strong reactions from anyone. No controversy to be found here. We're going to be talking about Black Lives Matter and uh, a lot of the things surrounding the movement or surrounding the phrase. Now, I've always uh, personally disliked the phrase all lives matter, which, by the way, isn't true. There are some some terrible people out there, but that's not the point. The point is when when there's arguably a group of people that are being unfairly treated, then it is right to highlight that particular thing. I mean, to use an extreme example, which tends to come up in many intellectual discussions is let's say we're looking at Nazi Germany and the Jews and the gypsies and others are being specifically targeted and you're trying to draw attention to it. And someone says, well, well, hold on, but all lives matter. Okay. But, but there's something happening here that needs to be uh, highlighted and uh, looked at. So um, we're going to talk about black lives matter. Probably I think we'll, we'll touch upon the, uh, the phrase and its merits, but also obviously the movement itself, which a lot of people don't really realize they sort of package the actual, uh, entity, the, the, I think the nonprofit organization or the organization, I'll say black lives matter with the actual phrase that people put on a sign and they just, they treat it like the, uh, the hippie peace sign. They, they, they don't, uh, necessarily affiliate the, the, uh, phrase with any particular group, um, or any concrete organization. Enough of my 35 minute world famous introduction, because, uh, I am not the only one who's going to be talking today. We have a, an abundance of wisdom here. Uh, as uh, you guys know, we've got the one of our favorite co-hosts currently. This is a guy who, you know, when, when, uh, whenever I look at Hollywood actors, I always say, why don't they act like they know philosophy? Like, why don't they act like they get it? And here's somebody who he certainly either gets it or acts like he does and does it well. Mark Pellegrino. Hey, good to see you again, Rekha. <laughs> Great to see you. And uh, we've got a guest today uh, here to discuss this topic with us. He is the host of the Culture and Causation podcast. Based on the name alone, I can tell you uh, it's, it's on the right track if it's not an excellent show. And his name is Aaron Briley. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's, uh, I'm really excited to be here. So uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, what you uh, what you what, what you bring to this particular topic? I have a feeling uh, you have some things on your mind. Sure. Yeah. With Black Lives Matter. Well, I um, I, I recently, you know, wrote an article um, that basically said that that BLM is, is anti-American. And um, so, yeah, I mean, my my view, at least on, on this issue, is that what we've seen over the past you know, several months is, is we've seen BLM um, openly and explicitly destroy our, our, our individual rights. I mean, they're, they're clearly against individual rights. It seems like they, they're attacking people. So they're against our physical safety. They want to break up our, our right to assemble. They destroy our property. Um, there's a climate of fear. So so my, 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 my whole point, I think, in, in the article that I wrote was just to show that um, BLM, I think, is fundamentally against some of the values and, and, uh, and principles that, that Americans value. Do you mean the organization? Do you mean the sort of movement? Uh, is there a differentiation sure. to be made? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have, I mean, there's a sentiment that Black Lives Matter, and I think that 
I think everyone agrees with that, um, or at least most everyone would. Uh, every decent person would. But yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the 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 kind of the the organization um, whose leaders are avowedly Marxist, um, and it's this organization that we that you know that I think is is really destructive. Hey, do you mind if I ask you a question, Rocky? Can I can I jump please, in? Please, please, please jump. Um, Aaron, was there ever a, was there ever a time in the history of the Black Lives Matter movement where you thought they they were actually perhaps good? And do you do you, and how do you think that this this new phenomenon of the of Black Lives Matter having such incredible power in the corporate world, academic world, and and so much purchase in our yeah. culture? How do you think that came about, given the origins, their origins? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think. BLM, um, even in its in its in its early days, so they they really started. Uh, so so after the Trayvon Martin case, uh, that was where you know George Zimmerman was 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 acquitted for killing this young black teenager, Trayvon Martin in Florida. Um, this sort of Black Lives Matter hashtag started to spread. Um, and, and and then after that, they they also gained gained you know, momentum after the Mike Brown situation in, in Ferguson. But I think even from its early days, Black Lives Matter really rests on a mistake. They sort of rest on it. it they, they, they thought that that case was somehow unjust. But if you followed the case closely, you saw that George Zimmerman really didn't, you know, he was, he, he wasn't um, unjust, it, it, excuse me, in that case, I, I think that George Zimmerman there was justified in, in killing Trayvon Martin. Um, so there wasn't, there, there, there really wasn't any, any problem there with that. So I think, I think Black Lives Matter really just started, started off, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, give me one second here, I'm sorry. Um, I'm getting a little confused here, a little nervous. Um, so yeah, just, just to go back on this. I'm sorry, just, just, just give me one second here, sorry. This is like 90% of how our podcasts usually are when it's just, so. <laughs> is it really? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. sorry. We figure it out back. as we go. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go back. Okay. Yeah. So I think when they first started, um, that the Black Lives Matter movement started after the Trayvon Martin case. Um, and that was a mistake. There was nothing unjust there. Um, and I think if you follow the cases, they picked up momentum with Mike Brown, they picked up momentum with Eric Garner and throughout all these, um, sort of major cases, Black Lives Matter um, was campaigning against this unjust system. But as far as I could, could tell, there was nothing unjust about these cases. So, so I was always a bit confused why they were picking up so much momentum. It seemed like no one was really looking at the facts of the cases. Um, and, and then we come to this year, 2020, and we see what happened to George Floyd and they picked up a lot of momentum there. I think, I think obviously that was that was wrong, and I think that um, I think that you know it was I, I I could see why they would get momentum there. Although no one really disagreed with George Floyd, George Floyd's death being unjust. Everyone agreed with that. So I I I think what's what's helping Black Lives Matter now um, are two things. I think really people have this sort of natural impulse, I think, to sort of look after and to, and to want to help 
the the downtrodden and to want to help um, you know people who are who are sort of underdogs. And I think the other thing that's really helping Black Lives Matter is that there's a misconception that there is this systemic racism or that there's this uh, sort of deep institutional injustice being committed against against blacks. So where do you I think, think that, both, where do you think that misperception comes from? Um, well, this is it's it's very interesting. I mean, I think I mean, I think if you don't know the facts, I mean, there, there's been a history. There's certainly been a history of this kind of treatment in the country. Um, so I think given our history, given where we've come from, I think people have a sympathy for that or they're, they're, they're sympathetic to that. But um, I don't think there, there are any facts to sort of justify that belief now. And I just don't think people have really looked at the data or, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's, it's something just as, as simple as that. They're just not really looking at the data. They're not really taking a, a careful look. Um, so it's almost like they have a good impulse, but they're letting it run. It may be wild. I think it may be true that there is um, a dis like a, a some sort of systemic problem, like let's say black neighborhoods are policed in a way that uh, a person there is more likely to get arrested for having like drugs on him, whereas a, a white guy in a predominantly white neighborhood is not likely to get searched at all. So he can get away with a lot more. So I think there is a I think I tend to uh, push back against. Um, sort of people on the non-left, I'll say, like people who tend to kind of push back against the systemic racism argument and tell them, well, let's, let's make sure we get the, that part of this right. Um, we do live in a, um, in a not entirely free society, which means the government is increasingly giving power to men rather than having rule of law rule over, whereas people are picking winning and losers. This is true in economics. And of course, in law enforcement, it's, it's bound to happen as well. Um, but that doesn't mean that every time a police officer shoots someone who happens to be black, we can all just assume that it was racism. And also we should not assume like we shouldn't just bundle together um, possible instances of racism with uh, what they call this sort of like um, microaggressions or sort of like this sort of subconscious racism that we're all just guilty of living with that we're just, we can't help. And the only possible um, redemption is to just admit we all have this original sin and just hand our judgment over to the, you know, to the BLM uh, overlords. I, I mean, I'm I interested mean, in, go ahead, sorry. Oh, sorry, no, I just wanted to make just a quick point. I mean, the idea that, that I think police are going into black neighborhoods more often than, than white neighborhoods, I believe that's absolutely true. Um, but I think it's based on, on the behavior and on the crime and on the calls that they get to come in. So I don't think there's anything systemically racist when there is more crime happening there, which is then directing police to this, to, you know, to these, to these areas. Um, uh, I mean, and, and I think this is what you would hear from, from some of the residents th themselves who are calling, right. Who are, who are calling the police on these high crime, on these high crime areas. So um, unless there's something else, I wouldn't, I don't think I, I would, Maybe take that as as um, as evidence for systemic racism. Um, but anyway, I, I just wanted to make that. Aaron, you I mean, you you just graduated from college. You you have an advanced degree in philosophy. Do you think there's 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 a a reason 
uh, Black Lives Matter is now is becoming so prominent in our culture. Does it have anything to do with dovetailing with certain intellectual movements that you've noticed in in academia? Is rampant skepticism yeah. or, or or any of this this massive cynicism and nihilism that we're seeing does it have anything to do with with what's what's being churned out of the university? I mean, I think so. I think you're right. I think there is. I mean, um, I think it did come at a very. I mean, it's been you know it's been around for a few years now, five or six years. Um, but I do think there are the same kinds of things that we're seeing in, in academia. Um, um, I think certainly this almost fetishism or, you know, fetishizing um, the, 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 the victim. Um, um, but there is, there's, there's a nihilism, there's an anti-American sort of sentiment in, there's an anti-capitalist sentiment in, in academia. Um, there is this also what I find with BLM. It's they're they're really against objective law. They're they're against the objective law process, the, the, the objective legal process, and you find this all over the place. Um, most most recently, this is this is this happened with Breonna Taylor. Um, you know, Breonna Taylor. After all the evidence came out, and after all the leaked documents came out, <clears throat> showing that um, that the police served a normal warrant. Um, which, which is the, the, the police had to knock, they announced themselves. Um, and once they, once they breached the door, they were shot and then, and then they fired back. Once all this evidence came out, BLM was still upset and still rioted after this, after the attorney general said, said that the grand jury wouldn't be bringing charges um, against those three officers for the killing of Breonna Taylor. So, so even though we went through this entire legal process, even though all the facts came out that contradicted um, these unofficial accounts of what happened, BLM was still not satisfied. They well, in still, that respect, even, in that respect, in that respect, do you think BM, BLM is really wrong? Because what they're chafing against, I think, is non-objective law. And I think the drug wars sort of put the, the police in a position of inordinate power over the citizen. And the, the ability to knock, say, the police and then burst into your house is something that, that, that doesn't sound to me like uh, it doesn't sound to me like a police action stemming from a natural right or anything that we can would consider even remotely American. It seems like something in a police. Oh, you mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, so, the, I mean if so the laws are wrong. And when you when the laws are wrong and you and you adjudicate under the principle that these laws are somehow correct, you can't convict these people, even though perhaps they should be convicted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think also, I think there is, there is this, I mean, I guess what I was, what I was getting at, I, mean, I agree with that. I guess what I was getting at is that there is this, uh, this myth, almost like an urban legend, that it was a no-knock warrant, that <clears throat> the police just burst in, that Breonna Taylor and her boyfriend at the time, uh, Kenneth Walker, were in bed, and the police just started shooting. This was the sort of myth that was going on. And not, not only that, but that they were at the wrong house. They shouldn't have been there and, and, and all these things. And when the facts came out, it turned out, no, that was actually wrong. Um, so I just, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really have a, a, a sort of high estimation of BLM, but I think they're, they're anti-objective, you know, objective law. So and, I think that would be, you know, I, th I think some of those trends you, 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 um, I saw some of those in, in, in academia, although, you know, it was just so hard for me just to get through. I was really focusing on my own thing, but, but that's what I, 
And uh, their anti-objective reality, I would say, like the mood around this whole um, sort of movement is kind of like as soon as there's a word gets out that the police or, or a private citizen like Zimmerman shot somebody black, immediately the jury is in. Like immediately everyone has a conclusion. But I mean, facts are facts. It can be true that racism is prevalent, but still that doesn't mean this particular case is an instance of racism, but everyone just assumes, not everyone, but largely you see this mood that just says, no, we, we got this figured out. It's highly sort of deductive, just kind of like making calculations without actually looking at the facts on the ground. And then there's no persuading anyone. Like there's no reasoning. As soon as you act, try to protest, they, they act like, oh, so you're for racism or, um, or, oh, that's easy for you to say, white guy. So it's, it's, it just becomes very uh, difficult to deal with people that are not uh, careful and meticulous about finding out what's true. So it seems like- Yeah, yeah, I think like, so. So it seems like Black Lives Matter in some senses is highlighting certain, or at least exploiting certain truths out there to pass off a deeper agenda. Right. It's true that it's true that our laws are unjust, especially the drug laws, and that that redounds to hurting minorities and people of color and and, and some of the ways in which cases are negotiated, plea bargaining, things like that, that ends up harming people of color more than uh, than than whites. And those are truths, but they're 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 means of. Their solution to dealing with that is to burn down the entire system because they're actually against due process, freedom, capitalism. And so this is just sort of a convenient, a convenient truth for them to use. Would you say that? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I think they, they really, you know, I, I, I think they, they sort of have their conclusions, um, you know, sort of all, all, already in their mind and, they, and they're just finding any way that, that they can shoehorn the facts to sort of fit. Uh, mm what you know what they think already so um yeah I, that's I, I think that that's absolutely true yeah not only do they have an agenda the sort of uh, thought leaders of the blm movement not only do they have an agenda that has nothing to do with racial equality it's much more like equality where we're all like living uh like peasants more likely um so not well, only not do they them. have not them not the leaders right, not, of course they, well we need leaders to, to <laughs> the rest of us luxury this... of course i mean they need to live in luxury so that they can make sure we're all, you know, un under control. But anyway, um, so that makes sure we're all equal. But not only do they have an agenda, whether it's socialism or some or some type of uh, political system <laughs> other than capitalism, but they also have a um, a source like a, a pa uh, uh, some some a philosophical background that they came from where they kind of ended up with this uh, with this movement. So not only are they do they have a future in mind? But they also have a past they came from, this sort of probably postmodernist or, or maybe uh, Aaron can better identify where they're coming from. They have a perspective, it seems, where the races just can't understand each other. They cannot communicate. Everyone is completely uh, biased based on their conditioning as a member of a certain group. So they're, they have that background in addition to having an agenda. I, th I think that's absolutely right. And you, and you hear this from, from the leaders when they express their, their Marxism. Um, you know, and, and a fundamental tenet of that is kind of what, what you just said. It's this, it's this, um, this antagonism, it's this sort of group antagonism, right? And, and the reason why you can't talk to, or the Marxists thought you couldn't, like the bourgeois and the, and the, and the proletariats couldn't talk is that they, 
they were really conditioned by their circumstances and they see the world in a different way. And I think, um, you know, when you apply that to, to races and we hear it all the time here, no, I'm black, this is my experience. You, you know, you have no right to tell me how to interpret this, this experience or how to even interpret these facts. I have my own facts, you're white, you have your own facts and, and, and there's no way we can bridge this gap. And I think that's, um, that's, that's, you know, obviously that's deeply problematic because you really can't reason with people that way. Um, mm -hmm. If they don't want to accept what you're saying, um, you know, you, you really can't, you really can't do much. So, and I think this is what brings out all their violence because they can't communicate, they can't reason with, with other people. So they have to, you know, smash mm -hmm. and burn things. This might go a bit beyond what we're supposed to be talking about today, but I've heard it said that it's a mistake. Uh, I've heard people say, and I think maybe Nikos, our absent uh, co-host, he often, he's reluctant to call anyone Marxist unless they're like really Marxist. And I, I've heard others also say that it's an error to say that today's kind of uh, race, what's it, ra critical race theory people are like, sure. are like taking the proletariat and the bourgeoisie and, and, and replacing white and black. Like that, that's mm -hmm. not exactly what it is. Do you, with a philosophical background, would you say it's a little more complicated and nuanced? Yeah, than yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Uh, I was bringing that up. I mean, the 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 owner. I mean, I'm sorry. The the, the founder, Elisa, I think I think Garza, um, actually openly stated that she was a trained Marxist. So this this is her words, and and she said that she was, and and her other co-founder, which I can't remember her name now. I think um, Patrice Colors. Um, so. So I was just using their their terminology, but yeah, this is not. I mean, there's a lot more going on than than just pure Marxism, um, and I think there are other elements that are being that are that are being uh, introduced. But um, you know, but I but but I do think this is this is a key. This is uh, a sort of key component of what's happening. Well, at the end of the day, all of these people are at war with the same thing, and the what that thing is can be. You can say it's capitalism. You can say it's egoism, individualism, and most fundamentally, you could even say they're at war with causality. And that's why uh, we're all going to subscribe to Culture and Causality, the podcast Causation. hosted by Causation. Sorry, I, I meant, well, I, I said what I said. And, I, and you're, you got to change the name of the show now because everyone's going to look that up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> all right. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to have you back. Thank you, Mark, as well. And uh, obviously, thank me, the, the real hero of the day, if, if, if heroes are what we're looking for. I'm joking. <laughs> Catch you later. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. All right, man.